welcome to the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your definitive resource for the latest in Apple news and App Store apps and games. I'm your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Hello, everyone. If this is your first time or your hundredth time, we want this being our episode 101 as a brand new introduction and really starting point for anyone to join and kind of get familiar with what we're all about at the App Advice Podcast. So a little bit about us. Both of us have been covering the App Store for 10 years, talking about thousands of games and apps, as well as new iOS devices and all kinds of stuff from Apple during that period. And hopefully that lends itself to offering good recommendations on the latest in what's coming out on the App Store and telling you about what Apple's doing. And that's what we're all about here on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, we've been playing these games for years. You'll hear us probably talk about stuff we missed, stuff that we hope comes back. I mean, there's this resurgence of old stuff coming back. So we can draw on that experience we have with old stuff, as well as what's new and how things have changed over the years. Right, because the App Store started back on July 10th of 2008, and a lot has changed since then. It's a brand new area, but it's still a vivid place for new entries to talk about on a weekly basis. So we're always going to have something to talk about each and every week so you can find new apps and games to install on your iPhones or iPads or Apple Watch or Apple TV or Mac or whatever the case may be. And of course, Apple's going to have big events coming every so often that we'll always keep you up to date on. Yeah, I mean, we have the Apple Arcade coming in the fall. So there's all kinds of things going on with lots of content coming and lots of things for us to talk about. Yeah, Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference is coming on or right at the start of June. So that's right coming around the corner. We'll get a new preview of the new version of iOS as well as Mac OS and Apple Watch OS and probably TV OS. So that's always a fun time. And then, of course, in the fall, we'll have new iPhones and all the rumors leading up to it. And then, of course, even when it's not a busy Apple week, the App Store gives us plenty to talk about. Yeah, yeah, there's always something to talk about. And so with that in mind, we'll start things off this week with Apple's earning report for Q2 2019. It was actually last week, but that was our special 100th episode, which, by the way, we have a giveaway in. So we're giving away a $25 iTunes gift card. Go back and listen to episode 100. It's our special edition where we break the mold and talk about Avengers Endgame and Game of Thrones and just give you a special keyword that's used to enter the giveaway for a chance to win the $25 iTunes gift card. Yeah, so make sure you listen, get that keyword, and get your entries in. Because the deadline is this Friday, May 10th at midnight Pacific. Okay. You've been warned. So, yes. (laughs) Now we'll go back. So Apple earnings report for Q2 2019, their their second quarter is the first quarter of the year, the first calendar quarter. So the January to March, end of March window. And in that quarter, Apple posted $58 billion in revenue and $11.6 billion in profit. When you compare that to the year-ago quarter, they made $61.1 billion with profit of $13.8 billion. So they're both down. Revenue and profit is down from the year-ago quarter. And a lot of this is based on sluggish, slowing sales of the iPhone internationally and specifically in China. Yeah, China was their big uh, loss point. I think they were down 22% from the same period last year. So 
I mean, that's really what they've been struggling. They tried to reduce the price of the phone there to try to make it sell more, uh, but they've just really been having problems, and that ended up dragging, like, everything down. It really did. And even with that, though, Apple had a couple bright points. The first one is that their wearables category is, you know, it includes the Apple Watch plus the AirPods. It set a record at $5.1 billion in earnings. And then also the services sector, which includes the App Store as well as iTunes, Apple Music, all that kind of good stuff. It also set a record. Yeah. Now, do you know, is the Beats product line, is that part of considered part of the wearables or is that like a whole separate entity? I don't I don't really know because uh, they have the, a new product coming out that's not part of this quarter. Uh, the Power Beats that if that's part of it, that's going to only get even bigger come moving forward because they have this whole other entry for more active people that don't want the AirPods. But I mean, we saw the watches. We knew the watches were selling well. And the AirPods, the second gen, I mean, they were always out of stock, the first gen. So once the second gen showed up, people could buy them. So, of course, sales were going to be fantastic for them. People have been clamoring for these things since even the first gen was released. So I'm really not surprised that that whole accessory and wearable line went up by 30%. Yeah, I think that Beats is still its own separate company since okay. they they put them under you know it's they're still like operating as an individual company because they're called beats you know it's not like apple beats or something true true yeah that's why i was curious just uh so yeah i wonder how they do split it out in their earnings report yeah i i, I couldn't find anything i tried to look and i i didn't find anything but i i didn't look that hard but i was just trying to quickly Maybe they up. do incorporate it all just because they would have to disclose all their earnings for their financial statements. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, they're making really good money on their wearables, and then services hit $11.5 a record, and then the iPad actually saw its strongest growth in six years. So all those new iPads that Apple has been releasing at both the high-end and the low-end and I guess particularly the low end, are finally starting to pick up. Yeah, I, th this was actually kind of surprising for me. I don't. I'm, I wish they had broken it down where we could actually see what drove those like sales. Was it the high-end models or was it the, a mass quantity of the low-end? Uh, obviously, we're not going to get those numbers, but it, I'd be curious to see which actually drove those sales or was it kind of evenly split out because... That high end is an expensive device, and maybe they sold a lot of them. And that's where they got all this money. But I, I don't know. I'd really be curious to see how that breaks down. Yeah, they don't break it down, and it's disappointing because you know they have the new iPad Air replacement at four ninety nine, and it sits in between their three twenty nine entry level and then their seven ninety nine iPad brand new iPad Pro maximum tier. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I think it's probably people going for that mid-tier, maybe willing to spend a little more money to get that extra boost of power. And uh, I don't I, but we don't have those numbers. So but I I was really impressed that that, that went up because I thought this was just going to continue to tank because people already had devices. They're not buying more. Uh, they don't necessarily need more. Maybe kids are finally getting the age where they need to buy additional units. but. I thought they kind of already maxed this thing out. 
And one thing that we used to always discuss was the actual breakdown, but now Apple no longer provides unit sales. We don't know how many iPhones or iPads or Macs were sold. That was always a interesting comparison, but we do have the overall kind of earnings from the different segments. So they break it down based on percentages. And that's actually probably the most interesting because in years past, the iPhone was about 66% of Apple's earnings. So two thirds of everything Apple does revolved around the iPhone. Well, in this most recent quarter, the iPhone was down to 54%. It's still the biggest thing that Apple does, but that's now 50% of the company rather than two thirds of the company. And the one that's making up the biggest chunk after that is services, which is now up to 20%. That's why Apple just had an event in March that was all about services. They talked about their new Apple News, their new Apple Arcade, and their new Apple TV Plus. So they're really betting big on services to accent what the iPhone's doing because it seems like Mac is still around 10%, iPad is around 8%, and now wearables is at 9%. So those, at least iPad and Mac, have always been around those single-digit kind of 10% areas. So services is the, is the growth area and a real major emphasis. Right, and at this point, we really only have Apple News and Apple uh, music. We don't even have the Apple Arcade yet or the Apple TV, which that could cause that number to go up even more if people really start diving into this stuff and subscribing. The iPhone uh, sales, they did drop 17% year over year, and we know there was a 5% decline in revenue for the Macs as well. So, I mean, those are both areas where we're seeing them shift away, and they do have to find other areas to make up. and the services is where they are are building and growing but at some point you would think they're going to reach max on that as well so i don't know it's a tough balancing game for them to figure out what to focus on but then not completely drop something and it's always kind of figuring out how to get people interested across a wide variety of things so not putting all their eggs in one basket Right. So it makes sense to diversify your portfolio so it's not so iPhone reliant. So if you had a really bad iPhone year, it doesn't completely bring down the company. But then iPhone is still your bread and butter. So you have to put so many resources into it. It's it definitely a tough balance going forward. Again, also because you're dealing with the idea that you're no longer a growth company. I mean, Apple's making more than all these other companies, all these other tech firms in Silicon Valley. It's not even really close. It's not a comparison at all. But they're not growing. They've kind of peaked at this $68 billion, or they do like $80 billion in the first quarter, which is their holiday quarter. And then they go around the 50 to 70 range for the other three quarters until we get back to the holiday quarter. They've gone into this cycle and it doesn't really change. It's not decreasing a huge amount. I mean, this quarter comparison, they made $3 billion less. So that's not like this gigantic thing, but you're not a growth company. And that's what this whole tech area is looking into. Right. And I, who knows, maybe with this, the services coming, uh, they will grow. But can they continue that growth across multiple quarters? Probably not. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out. Right. And so Q2 is not going to be the super most important quarter. But to see that services, as well as wearables, as well as iPad are bright points, is an interesting report for Apple. Because 
iPhones have done so well in the past, it's kind of masked how bad the iPad has just dropped off year over year and how the Mac sales really haven't changed much at all if subtle declines year over year. And so to have three bright points in areas that Apple really wasn't even talking about two years ago is quite a change for the company. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but you can see this is where they have started to shift their focus. So is it just because they are shifting the focus there or are they shifting the focus there because they saw that these trends were starting to grow in these areas? I guess is it like the chicken and the egg thing? Is it happening because they did work in these areas or just because now they're focusing on it because they noticed that that's where things were going? I don't know. Yeah, because the watch, you know, the watch is probably the most interesting aspect because it's worthless if you don't have an iPhone. It really, there's no one who's going to pick one up to try to sync it with their Android device with some, oh, you know, my Android device is super open so I can add some code to sync. No one's going to do that. You know, it's based on having an iPhone. So you have that built-in iPhone of the, or built-in iPhone audience. So all watch sales are going to be predicated on that. And I don't think a watch gets anybody into the ecosystem, but I believe the phone gets people into the other ecosystems like, oh, I'm going to pick up a watch or now I'm going to get a Mac. You know, so the phone is always going to be that entryway, but then you see it kind of shift into what else Apple offers. Oh, I have an iPhone, so I'm going to get the AirPods because they sync up so easily. Right. Yeah, it's the the watch is not despite it being a growth area where they're selling a lot of them. I agree with you. It's not the one that's going to get other you to buy all these other devices, except maybe the AirPods. But that's yet again in the same wearable area. But I, I agree that the phone does drive the sales for the other things and just people finding the ease of use of the Apple devices may get them to try a Mac where maybe they've always been a PC person, but hey, this iPad is pretty easy to use. Let me try check out a Mac, see how easy that is. And so I, I think you do get a good deal of crossover because people are happy with their products and then shift over and start tr- branching out and trying everything they have to offer. And that always ties into the thing of how the phone is going to act going forward, because Apple specifically put it at this $1,000 price point. They're not going to go below $1,000 on their top tier phone, I don't think, ever again. You know, they'll have like maybe an SE replacement or whatever to try to get the lower tier. But if you want the newest iPhone that's going to come out this fall, it's going to be at least $1,000. And then you have other companies like Google today had their whole Google I.O. event and you have the new Pixel 3a, which is only $399. It's a market that doesn't necessarily get tapped because Samsung is pushing into the super high end. They're trying to create foldable screens for even more of a premium. And it's a delicate balance because Apple's very stubborn in what they're doing with the phone. Right. I would. I think you would need to have all of the other companies push back and say, we're going to offer something that's just as high end for much less than what you're selling your top iPhone for. And then maybe Apple would have to do something. But as it is right now, everyone else sees that Apple is selling these things for a thousand bucks. So why not go for that if people are willing to spend that money on a phone, let's put out our own version of something that's going to cost a thousand bucks or that foldable phone that breaks the first time you fold it <laughs> for two thousand bucks. Like so, I unfortunately it seems to be a race to to climb, and I think at some point we're going to hit a breaking point. No pun intended. Where 
people are just going to refuse to outright pay. They're going to hold on to these devices longer and longer, which they already are because it yeah, costs them a thousand dollars. Problem with their earnings is that people. I mean, Apple's not make the iPhone X from last or the iPhone 10 from last year is in this super terrible device, and I paid a thousand dollars for it. I'm not going to upgrade because I'm not even on a two-year contract anymore. You know, I didn't get the 10s or whatever. I'm not going to get whatever new phone you come out with this year because my phone is perfectly fine. You're going to have to use iOS to kind of slow down the battery like they did with the iPhone 6 or whatever <laughs> last year for me to upgrade. So Apple's in a really tough position of making great devices that's worth $1,000, but then you break the whole two-year cycle and it's good enough to last longer than that. Yeah, I'm on at least a three-year cycle. I'll be probably upgrading my iPad before I do my phone at this point because the phone, it's working just great. The iPad I'm having some issues with, but uh, I have the 10 as well, and it's working just fine. Yep, so that's Apple earnings. Their revenue and profits were down. They have three smaller sectors which were growing, but their biggest uh, part of their company is actually going down as well. Yep. And so that means it's time for some games because it doesn't matter what device you have. As long as you have an Apple device, you can play all kinds of fun App Store games. And the first one we're going to talk about this week is Golf Blitz, which comes from Noodle Cake. And hopefully you've played some version of Super Stickman Golf in the past, whether it's the original, the sequel, or the third installment. All are astounding games, but especially two and three. They really amped up the whole course ideas of just crazy nature of them and then they infused in online multiplayer specifically the race mode where it's essentially it doesn't matter how many strokes it takes you the first one who gets their ball into the hole wins and everyone's playing simultaneously so the balls can knock into each other and it changes how things go and those were just modes within super stickman golf two and three so golf blitz essentially takes the mode out and makes it a standalone game to let you play race mode anytime that you want, only in just a standalone app. And they have all kinds of kind of free-to-play mechanics built into this race mode where all those unlockable characters and hats and power-ups are tied into these in-game gems and bucks, which are going to be earned through free packs that open every couple hours, or you can speed them up. It goes into that whole kind of free-to-play mechanics, but those, regardless, you have an absolutely amazing race mode that is free-to-play. You can just jump in and play and not care about all those extras, because you can play anytime. There's no limit to how you can play. There's no energy meter or anything like that. You can just play race after race after race, and it's just a super fun way to play golf with these crazy courses that require very specific shots, but now with the whole time pressure that you need to beat someone else to the punch. Right, yeah, there, so there's no ads in the game, and there are a lot of the same similar courses that you're used to, the same worlds, but the courses are slightly different. And so what happens is you basically pull back and you get this angled arc and you can adjust it and you release the fire. And what happens is when you go into the level, you the game starts and then everyone can shoot right away. You have this kind of a mana meter that builds up on the bottom that allows you to trigger your special power up balls. And you start with like a fire ball that can shoot really far. There's a speed ball that goes really fast and there's like a more precise ball. And then one of the other early ones you unlock is the sticky ball. So these are all things you're kind of familiar with if you played any of the other games, but you can't use those off your first shot. You're basically just trying to shoot as quickly as you can. 
The difference in this game is you can't just immediately take another shot. As soon as your ball stops rolling, then this little countdown timer comes up, and that slowly counts down, and then once that's done, you can then take another shot. And while you're waiting, that mana meter is building up, so by the time you can take your next shot, you might be able to fire off one of your power-up balls if it will help you. It's randomized which power-ups you go into the level with, so they may or may not help you depending on what the level is, but you can use them if you can. Uh, and because you're waiting anyways, you not you can delay or not delay your next shot if you want to wait for that meter, but odds are it might be ready to go already for you. Exactly. And the power-ups can help change kind of the balance of the race. So it's not necessarily going to give you a competitive advantage because everyone has access to the power-ups, but it's when you use them, how you use them, and which ones you use them. Because the fireball is going to let you blast way across the course. The sniper shot is going to be more catered towards when you get closer to the hole and really need more precision. And then the speed shot is when you're maybe playing from behind and you need to catch up because other people have made better shots than you or you landed in a bunker or a lake or whatever that has or whatever has happened to you. And really, all that kind of power-up ideas just build upon the core game. The structure of the game is absolutely amazing, regardless of which installment you get. They've just absolutely nailed super simplistic controls. They've somehow made Golf Blitz even simpler than the previous versions of the game with this just pull back, see your aim and trajectory and power, and then let it go. And it just is perfect for this whole race idea. And then you just get into the flow because you see other people right next to you or possibly ahead of you. And, you know, when you're playing just solo... You, you take your time and because these courses are designed such a way where there might be two paths to the hole at the end and you can go for this really skilled precision shot where you have to land between these two floating platforms or you can go the general path that's a longer route. And so when you're playing by yourself, you're going to try to nail that perfect shot and you know, you're going for like a hole in one or something. But with this race mode, you just get that first shot off as quick as you can because it really it's going to be tough for anyone to nail that perfect shot. So it's just a race to the end and they've nailed the simple controls and you just get into that flow of needing to get first because the games go relatively quick. You have a meter of nine. Every player does. So if you finish in first, you get three points, second, two points, third, one point. So if you win three holes in a row or you first three holes in a row, you win the game. Just as simple as that. You can complete an entire game in just three holes if you absolutely nail it. So these modes go really quick. You're synced up with random players effortlessly, super quick, and it just gets you into the flow of the game that you can really lose a lot of time playing golf blitz. Oh, yeah, I, I've been playing this all weekend. And so they do seem to do a good job of pairing you up with people that have leveled things up, because what happens is as you uh, unlock different hats and different characters, you'll get XP. And you, if you get enough XP, then you'll level your character up. And then what happens is you get these points to assign to either increase the speed of your ball, the accuracy of your ball, or reduce that actual like timer that you have to wait in between shots so there is a chance where if someone went out and spent a lot of money on in-app purchases to get card packs and to get money they could level up a lot faster which would mean that they theoretically depending on how they assign their points could really reduce that wait time or speed up their ball which might give them a little more of an advantage over you just because they'll be able to fire off shots quicker 
but they seem to actually kind of pair you up. I haven't noticed anything where I felt like I was so overpowered. Uh, the cool thing is because of those collisions with the balls it adds this nice element of unpredictability because you could be flying right for the hole and some other person could fire off their shot hit your ball and you both kind of go off and not all the points are given away every hole so someone could finish first get the three points but then if the other people don't get their ball within 15 seconds after that person gets the first person gets their ball in then there's no other points awarded so there's a possibility that only four point, only five points are given away or th three points are given away. So you never know. It, it could end up being like you could be way behind and pull way ahead if no one, if you race and get like a couple of wins and no one else gets to the hole. So it's always unpredictable. It's never, you're never out till you're out. So you always have a chance to come back, which I think is great because a lot of these golf games, it just totally relies on nothing but skill where. This, because of those collisions, there's an element of you never unpredictability. Yes, there is a lot of skill involved. You learn the holes as you go and you unlock additional holes as you level up. But if you start to learn the little tricks of the holes and the quick little ways to get through the holes, you'll you'll do better. But you still always have to kind of watch out for the other players because in like the goo hole, you can hit a ball that's stuck to the goo and knock them down and maybe they'll fall in the water. And now they have to wait their little timeout where you might be able to take a shot faster because they had to wait for the ball to drop timeout. Then they can take another shot. So. It's all there's a lot of little hidden strategy that you'll figure out as you go. And it just I in just playing game after game after game because I'm just so into it. And I, I love it. I love this game. It's so much fun. And then so the collision effects offer both strategy and randomness at the same time. Like you're saying, you have specific ideas for skilled shots and then you have the specific ideas of trying to change just best of luck say someone lands on the green right in front of the hole of you if you can get your shot off quick you can smack their ball past the hole and then with the momentum your ball might roll in or someone could do that to you or say you're about to put it in and someone chips it over your head and it bounces in just right before you all kinds of random crazy endings happen right at the hole because it seems like every match that i played two or three people are down at the green at the same exact time no matter how everything starts. Yeah, yeah, there's some times where you can get ahead just because people don't play the hole right, but it more often than not, you end up in a very close match where everyone's just fighting to edge, and maybe you hit it really hard to bump them away from the hole, but you accidentally knock them in. Or you bump them, and then their timer finishes, and they bump you, and you just have this back and forth, and then no one gets it in, and only the guy that got in first got the points because you two are fighting over who gets to go in the hole. Yep. And so... <laughs> You, you never know what's going to happen. And I think that's uh, games last. It only takes about five minutes to play through an entire match. And so you can quickly play a whole game and then move on and then do something else. Or you'll just want to keep coming back because uh, as you win, you can unlock these all the kinds of packs. And then there's timers on the packs. I do wish the timers on the unlocked packs would go a little bit faster. The shortest ones are two hours. They have other ones that take a whole day or. I think one of mine took 36 hours to unlock uh, and it just so 
they do take a while. Some of them, you you can pay the gems to speed it up, which are the premium currency. Uh, otherwise, you just kind of have to wait it out. And then it's getting those cards is how you unlock the additional golfers and hats to then get the XP that you need to level up your, your golfer. Uh, but all those crazy characters and hats that you loved from all the other series, they're all back and they have new ones as well. They don't do anything different, like they don't give you an advantage or anything, but they let you really customize your character. You'll I, The one time I end up with someone who looked just like me, but otherwise there's so many combinations, possibilities that anyone can come up with something they're going to love. And then we didn't even talk about the whole team idea. So when you're first playing the game, you're only being able to play with random people. But if you go and join a team, then you can play specifically with friends. And to create your own team, it costs a thousand bucks. You start with a hundred and you, you earn two or three at a time. But those bucks are better served to level up your player and unlock new skins and stuff. So it's best to just join another team with a friend or a few friends so then you can play each other in addition to the random online modes. Right. So they do have some in-app purchases uh, to get. So they have like an intro one that gives you a thousand bucks and then it gives you like a card pack. And I forget, it might give you some other things as well. They have other ones that give you gems, which you can then trade in for bucks. So if you're willing to spend a little money, the game is free, completely free. But if you're willing to spend any kind of money on the IAP, you could unlock that stuff faster. Otherwise, you can just play and those card packs will give you uh, sometimes as much as 40 to 60 bucks in one go. Uh, So it's just a matter of being patient and waiting for these packs to unlock if you don't want to spend any money. But if you're willing to spend money, you can get this stuff faster to help expedite the unlocking and leveling up. Yep. So that's Golf Blitz. It's free. It's universal. And then there's Angry Birds AR. Over the past hundred episodes of our podcast, we talked about Angry Birds quite a bit, but in more recent times, it's been a while since we've talked about an Angry Birds game, and essentially, it's just as you would imagine. It's the classic Angry Birds physics puzzle game where you launch birds into these wooden and stone structures that pigs have built and try to knock them all down and defeat the pigs, but now in an augmented reality mode, so you can put these structures in 3D in your living room, out in your front yard, wherever the case may be. And really, the AR gimmick was big when Apple really talked about it a couple of years ago. And since then, games have kind of gone away from it. But the, the best part of AR is kind of these puzzle ideas where you can move 360 degrees around a level to see every angle. And forms of Angry Birds, it actually makes sense where you'll change the angle of your shot and say the backside of the structure is more vulnerable than the front side. You can now figure that out by just walking around the entire level. It really changes it up. I was surprised because I didn't have high hopes for this game. I kind of rolled my eyes at the very idea of it, but it it's actually pretty cool what they did with it. I, I agree where it's cool in concept that it works because it is the type of thing where you really want to see this structure from all sides to figure out where the best place to hit it is. In theory, I really don't (laughs) want to get up and walk around every level and figure out what uh, what's going on. My wife saw me trying to play. She said, what are you taking a picture of? I'm like, no, I'm playing an AR game and I have to walk around and see what it is. Uh, But I don't know. I just am not motivated to get up and move around and do this. If I'm playing Angry Birds, I just want to do it on a phone while sitting down and not 
have to get up and move around. I I don't know. It just it seems still seems gimmicky to me and not anything that I would play with a regular any kind of regularity. It just I don't I don't know. I'm over AR already unless there's a really really compelling reason to to do it i just don't have any interest not only regularity but for extended periods of time like it's neat when you first get started to spin around but then you're like well like you said this is kind of tedious to just play a game that i got to move all the way around and not only that you have to kind of hold your phone at the same angle you can't really move around because it's fixated the level is designed based on the point that you set in your room so you can't be like oh i'm playing here on the couch and now i'm just gonna lay in bed and play or i'm gonna go in another room because then you have to reset up the entire game from scratch and once that neatness of the ar wears off you're back to playing angry birds and since there's been like a million angry birds games that wears thin relatively quick as well so you're left with this tedious, repetitive idea. And that's no fault of the game itself. It's more taking the entire concept of all the Angry Birds games in the past and all the AR games in the past. Right, and I did find that depending on the location you were playing, sometimes it could be difficult to see your little path line of where you were aiming, depending Mm -hmm. on the color. the color scheme in the background, yeah. Right, yeah, so it kind of didn't work in that case. You really had to make sure you were in a location where you could see that little line. Otherwise, you're aiming and you don't, you may not be aiming where you think you're aiming, and then you shoot and then you completely miss the spot you thought you like. So, say you were aiming for the TNT box or you thought you were, but because the colors and the line just kind of faded into non existent, you actually weren't. Now you wasted a shot and now you're not going to complete the level. And do you just move on or do you just. Or do you have to go back, replay it, and make sure this time you can see what you're shooting? I I don't know. It it just felt more tedious than fun to me. I'd rather play any of the other Angry Birds titles than than play more of this. What I really liked was just the whole 3D idea, because Angry Birds has been 2D for so long. So just the 3D idea is really ideal for this kind of game. It's almost reminded me of Boom Blocks for the Wii, and then Fishers on iOS kind of nailed that idea of having these whole 3D structures. I think they should have an option where you could play with static backgrounds, and you use your finger to rotate the camera 360 degrees around the structure. Like, I looked through the menus to try to play it non-AR like a lot of AR games have, and for some reason, they didn't include it. Now, didn't they have a another Angry Birds game that was more, that had almost like a 2.5D to it. I thought there was one that had, and they had things coming at the screen when you, when you knocked them out. Uh, I'm trying There's to the remember. 2.5D Transformers one, but that's a whole different game. No, I but I thought there the was an Angry... physics puzzle. I could have sworn there was an Angry Birds one. I, I do like the, the analogy to Boom Blocks, because I really like that game on the Wii. That was fun. Uh, right. But yeah, I don't know. For so, but that, if you could spin the camera with your finger, though, I think it would be a better game. I, I agree. Yeah, if you didn't have to get up and move around, and then if it was allowed you to uh, put it, I guess it does let you kind of zoom in or let you zoom in too without uh, actually having to move closer to the object, like physically move closer. That would be nice. But yeah, I, I agree. If if there was a way that you could twist it with your finger and not have to get up and move around, I think it might be better. Yep. 
So that's Angry Birds AR. It has potential, and that's kind of it. Because it just, <laughs> it's been too done before. I think I just can't do Angry Birds anymore, and this one isn't going to be the one that changes that. Yep. And then there's Astrologaster. Hopefully I got that one down. Essentially, it goes back to kind of medieval times or Renaissance period where, or I guess it's bubonic plague period, and the medicine isn't like the super most advanced. So essentially you get to use astrology and the various signs of the stars to try to diagnose people. So Capricorn might be for these certain types of ailments or Sagittarius is for this type of ailment, and then you match up what your patient tells you to the sign, and that essentially lets you deliver the proper cure or remedy for what's ailing them. Yeah, so this is apparently based on an actual true story. So this this guy, Simon Foreman, is a doctor, in quotes, because he doesn't have any kind of medical license, and he uses astrology and physics in, like, Shakespearean times to kind of diagnose what these people that come to him have. And this app is done in such a slick way. Like, it's it's by the developers of Tengami, and it has, like, this almost like a folding paper style, and it feels almost like you're watching a Shakespearean play. I mean, it's voice-acted, fantastic voice acting throughout each character as they come up who's like the patient coming up to simon they have their own little like theme song ditty that plays it's super catchy and then they start telling you hey i feel this way but it's not necessarily like you can kind of guess what it might be but then what happens is you're presented with these he says okay let's look to the stars and figure this out and so then he gets a couple of choices of astrological signs of what it could be and it gives you a little description of this is taurus and this could mean that such and such and then maybe there's a few signs so it's like there's also this sign and uh this could also mean this or you have option B, which is a totally different sign, and now you have to choose one of these things to tell the the patient. And you either make them super happy, or maybe they'll not fully understand, or maybe you made the wrong choice. But you tell them, and then something happens, and it's basically like a comedic story game. The writing in this is phenomenally good. Hilarious, the, the stuff that they come up with, and just the... The wording they use to describe what would be common problems to us nowadays, uh, I don't know, it's just so well written. I was super engaged uh, right from the start. I saw this one at PAX East, and I loved, I could have sat there all day and played it, and I was super happy they came out, like, almost right away, uh, and I got to play it uh, now, now that it's out, but... Uh, it's If you like, like, a humorous story game... Uh, almost like a choose-your-own-adventure, but I don't know that you can ever have a wrong choice. You get a different choice. Uh, this Astrologaster, which I think I butchered the name of when I talked about it after PAX East, <laughs> uh, but it, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. I'm still playing through it. I haven't even finished it yet, but I'm having a lot of fun going through this. And so, again, it's worth mentioning it comes from the makers of Tengami because they have that beautiful kind of 3D pop-up book rendered in a 2D environment and you get to fold the screen and like this whole uh, 
papercraft world idea. And so this is present in Astrologaster, where you fold the pages and these new scenes come to life right before your eyes in this pop-up book style. So it's beautiful visual. And then, like you said, there's this whole comedic storyline that also includes these kind of sing-song phrases between like the break sections in between the puzzles of each given patient. It kind of reminded me of Peter Panic with that whole super creative musical idea infused into an iOS game. Yeah, yeah, I I would definitely have the the visions of Peter Panic uh, for for this as well, uh, and it, it it's as they introduce each of these new patients, and so what will happen is there's this decree that goes out, and it says that they're basically going to arrest, and only real doctors are allowed, and so this guy doesn't have his uh, medical license, so but he knows that he can apply for one if he gets all these letters from his patients. So basically, you're trying to go through each of these patients anywhere between five and seven times, and as you solve the problems, they'll get closer and closer to giving you a letter of recommendation, which you can then take to get hopefully get your license, and then you're safe from being uh, arrested for not having a medical license. But I, I don't want to give anything away with actual, like, some of the things that they, they come up with, but... If you would like any kind of humorous stories, I think you're going to kick out of this, especially if you like Shakespearean type stuff. And uh, I don't know. I I thought it was very humorous. I, I, I Maybe the humor won't be the same for everybody, but I thought it was very well written. Yeah, the only kind of drawback for me is that the puzzles aren't necessarily the most complex that you can find on the App Store. But again, this game is focusing more on kind of the storytelling and all the specific comedic dialogue and interactions with the characters than it is in creating these super brain teasers. So you kind of just have that expectation going in. If you favor more games that are heavy on the story versus heavy on like intricate puzzle games, then that's where I think Astrologaster fits. Right, right. Yeah, it's not really a puzzle. It's more of a a choose-your-own-adventure narrative game that you're just going through. Uh, it's not... I don't know if you can actually fail or not, uh, but it's... Uh, yeah, if you like story games, definitely check this one out. So that's Astrologaster. It's four ninety nine and it's universal. And then there's Dumb Ways to Draw. So hopefully you guys have heard of Dumb Ways to Die. It started out as a New Zealand PSA to not get injured or die when you're around a train. It's like, don't do all these things, and it's just about train safety. And then that turned into this whole kind of music video song that was trending on the internet, so then it created a game. And then the game was essentially this WarriorWare-style minigame where it's like, do this for three seconds. It's like, shake your device for three seconds, and then you have to do that. Or swipe across the screen five times, or tap these specific places on the screen so they're all these like quick action mini games and then there was a sequel which made the mini games kind of stack on top of each other so they're themed up based on this almost olympic style environment where you go to level by level because the original is just like random assortment of mini games super simple game and structure the sequel introduces different modes and areas of themed stacked mini games based on those areas and so now dumb ways to draw brings all those characters back into play and the same kind of ideas of like a guy with flaming head running around or whatever. But now it's all just kind of that classic 
draw-based puzzle game where you need to draw a bridge across the screen for the character to get from point A to point B. Or you need to draw a blockade so this big uh, wrecking ball doesn't smash the character. And the levels build upon these various ideas. Yeah, so my problem with the game was... So Dumb Ways to Draw, it was a lot of variety, a lot of things... Dumb Ways to Die was a lot of variety. Things, all different things changing up and you had to quickly think on your feet to do something different for each one. This one, you're really just, you have plenty of time to draw the line. Nothing happens until you start drawing, so you can plan everything out. The first six levels or so, they tell you exactly what to do, to what lines to draw. Finally, they stop doing that, and then you can, they're not difficult to figure out exactly what you need to draw. Finally, then they start building on it where now you have to draw and then maybe erase sections of it uh, in order to solve the puzzle. But the puzzles never really got that hard like not hard enough where you really had to think about it all that much and i I just wish it was a little more complex or just a a little more difficulty curve to really ratchet things up to keep you interested because otherwise it just felt a little too samey to me yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say because the first one it's about this rapid fire variety you're not sure what to do or what to expect and you just have to react when it comes at you and the second kind of amplifies that with more different potential mini games and so then you get dumb ways to draw and all that's really the same is the design aesthetic of the experience it's a completely different gaming experience and then the structure itself goes on this whole just kind of by the book idea where it takes 10 levels to introduce a new concept and those 10 levels almost play out identically and not only that the characters within those levels are very similar like there's a lot there's a big bunch of characters from the music video or from the game and this one kind of reduces it to four different characters it does have these great cutscene animations when you do fail i kind of love that idea it's in uh, bring you home where when you do actually fail it's worth seeing the animation play out just because they're absolutely hilarious. So you want to see both the success and failure in that game. And this game, it it dabbles in that, where the big wrecking ball will come and smash the guy to blood, and then you get to see your failure blood splatter (laughs) on the rest of the level. Or say you go through the buzzsaw, or a big uh, battering ram just kind of chops the top half of your body. Those are great to see, but there's not that much variety. There's only a few different ways to die. And so if you're going to be in this whole dumb ways to die universe make sure there's a bunch of variety on the ways to die and that <laughs> yeah. was a little disappointing yeah i was a little, i did like that they left the the blood there to kind of remind you of hey you died you didn't make through this on your first try but uh it was more in the only reason i did die on a few of these is just because a poor line or a straight line or something, or I didn't quite understand when I first went in how the physics worked uh, as far as it holding the line up where you draw it uh, versus it just falling down to the ground. So, I mean, I guess there was a slight difficulty to a few of them just for you figuring out what was going to happen in the level, but then you immediately knew what you needed to do uh, to solve it. So, I'm looking for more something where it was challenging where you would have to like do part of it. And then you figure out, Oh no, I need to do this. So then that doesn't block me from doing this later, a little bit further down the level. The problem is they're all just single screen. So you really can just glance at everything all at once and know exactly what you need to do. 
But uh, yeah, it, there definitely needs to be a lot more variety in the game, and they need to be much faster introducing the new uh, concepts. I will say this is another one where you definitely want to turn into airplane mode because there are ads so often in this game. Like you you play once and then it's like an ad. One level, it's an ad. So I turned on airplane mode to to avoid the ads because it was just frustrating to play with with all of these ads in it. Yeah, that's always definitely worth noting. And again, I think the main takeaway is that it lacks the complexity of the previous as well as the complexity of a good puzzle game. There's much better path drawing games on the App Store. I mean, because the whole kind of core concept of the idea is that you need to come up with all kinds of new things to draw to deal with ever rising difficulties. But it seems like you can pretty much just draw a bridge in most of these levels or maybe sometimes draw like a little square box and it handles everything like not only are you completing these levels but you're getting three stars because (laughs) the whole star meter is based on how much length you use to draw and you barely use anything at all and it creates the whole path that you needed or activates switches and they keep using the same kind of dip obstacles over and over again as well right and they already have shown you exactly how to get around these obstacles in those first six levels mm-hmm. where they basically showed you the line to draw so now you know exactly when this obstacle is on the screen this is exactly what you need to do to get around it maybe there might be some slight variation on it but you pretty much know what you need to do because they've already shown you and literally drawn the line on the screen and you just had to trace it and so there's really no challenge there. And yeah, it all it, all it is is the amount that you use. And you can see if you're going to lose a star. So then you just make it a tiny bit shorter and then you're good to go. Yep. And so that's Dumb Ways to Draw. It is free. It's universal. And I think that's everything for episode 101. Yeah, that's all I got. If you would like updates on apps and games and Apple news throughout the week, be sure to check out at AppAdvice on Twitter and at AppAddict.com net on twitter as well and then if you're enjoying what you're listening to be sure to leave a review on itunes be sure to enter our giveaway and so i think that's everything and brett thanks for joining to everyone listening we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time talk to you later